confession together. Father, we, we uh, sing and proclaim and believe that you are the beautiful one. You are great. Lord, we thank you for just weather and sunshine that reminds us of your glory and how great you are. Your scriptures again and again say that creation cries out and proclaims how great you are, that the heavens declare the glory of God. And Lord, we see that so clearly when it's so beautiful outside. We thank you for that gift. We thank you for your beauty. We thank you for your strength. And Lord, we come as a confessing people, confessing and agreeing that you are an awesome God, that you are great, that you've created all of this. We also come grieved over our own sin and by the way that we've rebelled against the beauty of your creation and grieved over the way we've rebelled against the beauty and design that you've made us for that you created us to carry your glory and to reflect that to the world around us. You created us to be kind, to be brave, to be strong, to reflect you, God. And so often we fail to do that. So often we fall short of the glory that you've designed us for. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But Lord, we take hope. We confess that you are great. We confess that we are sinners, but we also confess Uh, that you're a God that offers forgiveness, that you entered space and time and you chased after us. You came after us to bring us back to yourself. And so as we continue to worship, we worship as a people relieved and forgiven and set free. That even though we've fallen far short of your design, Lord, you are restoring us. And we pray that as we continue to sing of your love and your kindness to us, that that would change our hearts, that we would believe what we're saying, that we would be transformed, that we would walk in newness of life, that your kindness would lead us to change. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Open up the skies of mercy. Rain down Sing the flood, the healing waters rise around us, and hear our cries, Lord, and let them rise to your kindness, Lord, that leads us to repentance, 
goodness, God. And we do just want to lift up your name. We ask that you would be glorified in our lives, Lord, that you would cover us uh, with the blood of Jesus, God. That we would be holy in your sight. That we would be uh, pure, God, and just and just bring you joy, God. We ask for your joy to fill us, but we ask that, that our lives uh, would bring joy to you, God. That we would be able to hear you and, and follow you well, Lord, and, and just walk humbly and, and in love with you and, and loving our brothers and sisters in Christ, God. I just thank you for this time uh, to worship you and just the life that you've given us, Lord. I thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. You'll stay standing. I'd like you to take a chance to introduce you to someone nearby you. See if you can meet someone new. I know a lot of you are visitors for the first time, so you may be vi- meeting visitors next to you, but let's, uh, let's meet each other this morning. Good morning. All right, very good. Hopefully you met some new folks. Um, We would love for you to open up your Bibles if you have one to 2 Timothy. We're in the second letter to Timothy. And if you don't have a Bible, we've got some you can use. As a matter of fact, you can even take it home with you if you want. We will just buy more, but we have them under the chairs there. Uh, You can open up to page 995 in those black Bibles. Uh, And it's the, the book of 2 Timothy. We've talked about how the idea of 2 Timothy is to carry on. We've got this picture here of a city in the middle of a wilderness. We're trying to conjure up this image of, of what God has been doing throughout history with his people. Started in the garden, he planted Adam and Eve in this paradise, and he said, be fruitful and multiply. He said, spread paradise. And of course, we know that went, went bad and kind of things went into a tailspin shortly after he gave that command to them. But but this command was reiterated then by Jesus Christ. He said, go and make disciples of all the nations. Go, go spread this all over the place. And we, we looked uh, in another pastoral letter in Titus where, where Paul was giving instructions on building the church so that it would be this counterculture, so that it would be different from the rest of the world. It would be like the city within a city that would grow based on God's grace and the truth of who God is. And, and then now in 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy is Paul's last letter. He's dying and these are his final words. He's saying, okay... I've already given instructions to all the churches about how to build this, this counterculture, this new culture based on grace. Now I'm telling you, Timothy, to carry on, to keep this going, to spread it to, to future generations. This morning we get some kind of strategic language on how to pass that baton, how to, how to carry that on to the next generation here in chapter 2. We're going to be in 2 Timothy chapter 2, and we're going to look at just the first seven verses of this chapter and this is really a pivot point section for the book where it, it ties together these ideas of suffering that Paul's already touched on. We looked at last week. It also ties together the ideas of, of being strategic and passing this on to future generations. So if you'll read with me, I'm going to read from 2 Timothy. We're going to look at um, verses 1 through 7. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. Paul says, You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits, since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. And an athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. And it's the hard-working farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. 
Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Let's pray and, uh, and ask the Lord to give us some understanding this morning. Lord, we ask that you would teach us. We pray that your spirit would be here with us and apply your word. We believe that, that we need to learn from you, that we've often lived our lives uh, according to our own rules, and that we need to, to uh, relearn uh, what life is supposed to be like. So we pray that you would teach us, that you would instruct us this morning, Father. We thank you for your son, Jesus, that you gave to us to give us new life and pray that we would be transformed by your spirit for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the uh, 2007 World Championships took place in Osaka, Japan. Anybody there? The uh, 2007 World Championships? It was the World Championship for track, track and field. Um, So they had the sprint races and long distance races and the, the field events, the jumping and all of that. And in the 2007 World Championships in Japan, the U.S. team won first place in the sprint relay. Anybody ever run on a sprint relay team? The, uh, all right, there you go. Sprint relay team, that's the 4 by 100 uh, the 400-meter relay, each, each leg, each person runs 100 meters. So each person runs once around the track to make up a total of, uh, of 400. No, 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 that's not once around the track. Each person runs one quarter around the track so that the whole relay then is, is once around the track. So four by 100. Each guy runs 100 meters and then has to pass the baton to the next guy who runs another, another 100 meters and the next guy, and so that they end up with, with 400 total. So this is known as the sprint relay. It's, it's the short relay where each guy is just running that 100-meter that sprint. And, and the U.S. won, the world champions. So then going into the 2008 Olympics, we had high hopes for the U.S. team, right? Anybody watch the uh, 2008 Olympics in Beijing? Anybody? Anybody go there? No? Okay. Um, some of you were there, maybe. The 2008 Olympics, we had high hopes for this sprint relay team that's, that's coming in as world champions. Two of the guys had actually been on that same team. One of the guys had a world record um, going in in the 100 meters. So we had some really fast guys going in to this race. And what happened is these guys were ahead. They were leading. They were running fast. They were defending world champions. But when it came to the last handoff, to the last leg of that relay... Anybody remember what happened? Anyone? Yeah, they, they dropped the baton. They couldn't make the handoff. And so they dropped the baton, and, and one of the worst sounds that you can hear when you're running the relay is that clang of the aluminum baton hitting the ground because it's all over with. It doesn't matter that you're the world champions going into that race, going into the Olympics, because now you're disqualified if you don't pass the baton on to the next guy. It doesn't matter if you're the fastest ones out there. If you don't get the baton around the track, you're disqualified. And it's over. And, and, and they lost. I believe it was the Jamaican team that won, right? The guy, Usain Bolt and all those guys. So the, the Jamaican, the bobsled team? I don't know what it was. <laughs> the, uh, I believe it was the Jamaican runners, not bobsled team, that, that then won that, won that race. And, and I think this applies to us because we can, we can seem to have it all together. We can look good, right? We can... We can feel like champions and feel like we're doing a good job and feel like we're doing what God wants us to do, but if we don't pass this baton, this, this trust that God has given us as a church, last week we looked at this idea of, of this deposit that God's entrusted to the church. If we don't share that with the next generation, then it's over. Then, then we've failed. So it's not about being an impressive church. You know, it's not about being strong. It's not about looking good. It's about carrying on. It's about passing this baton that God has given us, this trust of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, who Jesus is, 
this God who is just and holy and who has perfect righteous demands on us. And yet, even though we failed to meet those demands, he, he came in to meet them for us. He, he came in to earth, was born as a man, took on flesh and lived a perfect life in our place and died a death as our substitute. And, and that good news, then, we are to share with future generations. That good news that he conquered death. As we looked at last time, he abolished death. We have victory in him. He rose from the dead. Death couldn't hold him. That's the good news. That's the baton. That's the trust that we have and we are to pass on to future generations. And, and so as we're thinking through this idea of passing it on, I want us to think about what are, what are ways that we drop the baton? What, what are ways that we often go wrong? And one of them is we, is we think we can do it by our own effort. I think that's one of the key ways that we go wrong as churches, as people of God, as we start to forget the basics. We start to think that we can do life on our own. And so the first thing that Timothy is told by Paul is to be strong in God's grace. The first thing that Timothy is told is to be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Oh, there they are dropping the baton. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it was heartbreaking. I just deleted it right off the DVR as soon as it happened. Boom, they're gone. Be strong by grace. Be strong by God's grace. That's the first thing that he tells Timothy, is to be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Verse 1, you then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Why does Paul call him my child? I think in English that often comes across as, as baby, right? We think, my little, my little baby, my child, you know, we think of childish. And that's not really the, the connotation of the Greek here. The connotation of the Greek here is, is, the, uh, is the ownership idea, right? Of, of he's saying, you're my son. You belong to me. You're my adopted son. You're my spiritual son. So he's not saying, you, Timothy, you little baby. He's saying, Timothy, you're, you're mine. I love you. You're my son. So that's what he's saying here when he says child, not childish, but you, you belong to me. We, we have shared experiences. We've done life together. We've ministered side by side. You are a spiritual child of mine. You're my spiritual son. He's saying, you, Timothy, the one I love, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Timothy, don't be tempted to strengthen yourself in other ways, but empower yourself. Be strengthened to grow and, and have the strength to carry on in this life by the grace that is in Christ Jesus, by this basic fundamental, the same thing that you're trying to pass on, the same baton, the same trust, the same deposit that we have to share is the very thing that strengthens us. That's the very thing that empowers us. And this word here, strengthen, is the word dunamis in the Greek. We get the word dynamite, right? Dynamite was, was named after this Greek word dunamis that means power. Whenever you see in the New Testament words like be strengthened or words like empowered, most of the time it's the same Greek word, dunamis, this, this empowering idea. What, what do we need to be strong enough to, to shoot out of the starting blocks of life? We need the power of the grace that's in Christ Jesus, that he is the object of our faith. Not some special program, not some special habit or ritual, but, but Jesus himself. He is the source of power that strengthens us. What, what do we need to keep going, right? I mean, sometimes we think of it as a sprint and running hard, and I've been talking about a relay, but a lot of times in the New Testament, the Christian life is, is compared to a marathon, right? It's compared to a long-distance endurance race. What, what gives us the power to keep going when we don't think we can keep going? Well, Paul says it's the grace that is in Christ Jesus. This very message that we're trying to pass on is the thing that strengthens us. That's the thing that gives us life. That's why we're passing it on, because we found hope in this message. 
That's why we want to pass it on, because we've, we've found life here. It's not just some duty of, oh, here's this thing I need to tell future generations. That's the very thing that gives us hope. Without this, we don't have any hope at all. Without this grace, this forgiveness, this new life that we have in Christ, this resurrection hope that we have in Him, we, we don't have anything to pass on. We don't have anything to share. I have a picture here of dynamite. I think there's kind of a, a contrast here between these words. Because we often think of grace in the sense of, of uh, gentleness or kindness, you know, someone being gracious. But the scripture again and again says that God's kindness towards us is this explosive power. It's this incredible explosive power. A lot of you probably know that Alfred Nobel invented dynamite. And then he decided he didn't want to be remembered for blowing people up and helping people out in war. So he, he set aside and started the Nobel Peace Prize, right? Made all these millions from his inventions and said, I'm going to give this Nobel Peace Prize and try to promote peace in the world. And so you've got this juxtaposition. The man who invented dynamite giving away a peace prize. Well, Paul has a similar juxtaposition in this verse here in verse 1 where he says, Be strengthened by grace. And have this explosive power by God's Grace, God's kindness to us is what gives us the endurance. God's kindness to us is what gives us explosive power in life to conquer whatever we face, to not be afraid anymore of the things that may hit us in life. A lot of you may be thinking of, of uh, ways that you can strengthen yourself on your own, right? A, a lot of times you're, you're hitting a wall, you're facing difficult things in life, and you may think, I could self-medicate, right? I could go back to the bottle and maybe that would give me a little comfort to make it through. Or, or if I just had the right relationships, if I could just get my family in order, then, then we'd be strong, then we'd be secure, and we could, we could conquer life. If, I'm, if I had the right job, maybe. If I had enough money in the bank, then I'd be secure. And we go to all these, these other artificial means of strengthening ourselves, of empowering us. And Paul says, be strengthened in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. This, this grace that we could never earn, but it's given to us freely by God through Jesus Christ. That's what we should be strengthened in. When you think back uh, to Carl Lewis and Ben Johnson, any of you that watched previous Olympics, anybody remember these two runners? Carl Lewis, very famous runner in American history. He won eight gold medals in the Olympics. He won nine gold medals in, in world championships world's fastest man, you know, competed in multiple events. And then there was this guy that beat him, I think it was the mid-80s, named Ben Johnson. A guy that finally came along that was strong enough to beat him. If you're, I don't have an image of him, but there was Carl Lewis, you know, built a little more like me. And then there was Ben Johnson that was like solid muscle, a wall of muscle. And it turns out that the reason he was such a big wall of muscle is he had actually been using steroids. And that was part of what he used to strengthen himself to beat Carl Lewis in that race. So, of course, his gold medal was stripped away. He'd used artificial means to strengthen himself, while Carl Lewis was known for being strengthened naturally by enjoying the natural gifts that God had given him and working hard to, to put those to use. Well, we shouldn't go to artificial means. We shouldn't go to other things besides the God of the universe who says, I am the source of power to strengthen you in life. God says he's the one that will come for you. He's the one that will be with you and give you strength through the grace that's in Christ Jesus. When we think of the disciplines of the Christian life, we often think of a list of things that we can do to grow closer to God. And it's very important that we don't mix these up because all kinds of Christians throughout the history of the world might give you the same list of things that Christians should do, right? 
being generous to the poor, giving to your church. We like that one, right? Uh, uh, Praying and uh, reading your Bible and sharing your faith with others. So we have these things that Christians throughout history have been commanded to do. And they're very clear in Scripture. This is what Christians should look like. But we often get it mixed up and we think that that's the thing that strengthens us, right? We think that we do these things and these things strengthen us. No, we do these things because we are desperate for Jesus. I, I pray not to impress God and say, hey, God, look, I prayed. No, I, I pray because I'm, I'm talking to God. I'm begging him to intercede in my life. I'm seeking him. I'm, I'm asking for his grace. I, I'm pursuing his strength. I'm saying, Jesus, help me. I, I need you. That's an expression of being strengthened in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Instead of the other way that we pray where we go, well, if God's going to be happy with me, I need to spend a certain amount of minutes each day praying, you know, and then God will be impressed, and then he'll have to bless me, right? Instead of coming to him as his children, knowing that he's already blessed us in Christ and coming to him asking, saying, Father, will you, will you help me? Will you give to me? And if we begin to see prayer that way, I believe we'll actually pray more. We'll actually begin to pray without ceasing, like Paul talks about in the New Testament. And there's other things, too. I mean, when we read his word, are you reading his word again so that you can tell other Christians, hey, I'm one of these people that reads the Bible? Or are you actually reading the Bible because you want to learn more of Christ? You want to understand more who he is and the great riches of grace that he has for us in Christ Jesus. The, the way that we see God and the way that we see his graciousness towards us can, can turn on its head the way that we interact with the disciplines of life. We, we give generously because we actually see God as a gracious God that gave to us. Instead of giving generously so that God will be pleased with us. We, we say God is pleased with me because of his grace. It's not something I can earn. It's something he gives freely. So now I want to give to others. Now I want to help orphans and widows. Now I want to share with those that are less fortunate because God has done that for me. Well, the other thing that we see is that we should entrust this baton strategically. Now, now, when you run a sprint relay team, it's a little different than the mile relay. I told you a few weeks ago, I used to run the mile relay, which is each person does the full lap, hands it off, next guy does a full lap. And that's a slightly slower race because you're running a full lap, so you just run and hand it off. It's not that complicated. But with the sprint relay, it's got to be very uh, particular. You've got to be very careful. If you've ever run the sprint relay, you know that you have markers and you have a coach working with you to tell you exactly when to take off and you have a little piece of tape on the track. So as soon as that guy passes that mark, you take off running, and then he knows when you hit a certain mark that he yells stick, and you put your arm back, and it's very precise. That's why uh, a lot more often they drop a baton in a sprint relay than they would in a mile relay, because it's got to be strategic. It's got to be precise and and measured. Well, Paul says that we have to be careful and strategic about how we pass on this good news to the next generation. He says we have to be careful about it. It's not just haphazard, but we have to be purposeful and strategic. Verse 2 says, And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. He says, Find faithful men that you can entrust this to. You can share this with them. The NIV says reliable men. It's this idea of men that can be trusted. He's saying be strategic. Don't just throw it away, but, but share it with people that you know will pass it on to the next generation. Be strategic in how you multiply this, how you share it with others. And he says, too, it's really interesting, what you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses. It's not some kind of secret knowledge. It's not some, like, some other ideas. 
it's not like this secret club and with secret handshakes and, and once you are into that realm, then you have the magic stuff you need to share. No, again, he, he's kind of picking up this theme of what we saw in verse 1. It's the basics of the grace that is in Christ Jesus. These very basics of who God is, what he's done through Christ, that Jesus came and lived in our place and died in our place and rose from the dead. These basics, this, this stuff that Paul shared publicly and openly, share that and find faithful men that will multiply that for others. Don't, don't go making up other stuff. Theology and, and knowledge of God should not be focused on all the peripheral things. Now, it's good to do your homework and understand some of those peripheral things so that you can better support and understand the center. But the focus should always be the center. The focus should always be the center of who God is and what he's done for us through Christ Jesus. And so the faithful men are not the men that can go off on rabbit trails and study every piece of trivia that there is about the Bible. The faithful men are the ones that stick to the basics of the gospel. And Paul says, find faithful men, find reliable men that you can entrust this baton to, this deposit of the good news. I have a picture here of a chessboard just to help us think about the strategy, or as we like to say here in Texas, strategery, right? The, the thinking this out. The, the being careful, thinking about what the next move is. And, and this is something we do as a leadership team at the church all the time. We're always praying that God would bring us faithful leaders. Uh, it, it's an important principle. And really this principle of, of, of entrusting this strategically to future generations is something that goes all the way back to the Old Testament. Even back in the Exodus story in Exodus chapter 18, Jethro, anybody know Jethro? Not the uh, Beverly Hillbillies, but the other Jethro in the Bible? Um, Jethro was Moses' father-in-law, and Jethro watched Moses teach and lead his people and wait in, and saw the people wait in line all day long to speak with Moses. So Moses was solving everybody's problems. He was teaching. He was counseling. He was serving as a judge for millions of people. And Jethro said, that's stupid. You're, you're killing yourself, Moses, and you're killing your people. You need to find faithful men and teach them so that they can teach others and have them then begin to teach the people. Then they can judge cases. Then they can, they can counsel people. Then they can explain God's law and God's word to people. And so this idea of, of multiplication of leadership goes all the way back to Exodus 18. It's not some new idea. And this is really where a lot of churches go wrong. A lot of churches have such a, a leader focus that no one else can lead, right? And, and it's important to us at this church that we multiply leaders, I'm the most uh, visible, most vocal leader at this church. I'm the one that that gets to speak almost every week. Um, But we have a whole team of of leaders that support me, that encourage me, that hold me accountable, that will challenge me if I say something crazy. Also, we rotate in other preachers. Actually, our assistant pastor will be preaching next week. So we have other people that preach from the front, but we've got tons of people that are teaching all week long. We've got people that are leading in small groups that meet in homes. We have Sunday school teachers teaching in classrooms. We have people all week long meeting with each other one-on-one and in informal groups to encourage each other in the truths of the gospel. And that's an important principle for any, for any church. I know a lot of you aren't going to stay here. That's one of the things that makes me sad is I don't get to keep everybody. Many of you will, will move on with the army. But when you go and you find another church, make sure that you find a church that's, that's investing strategically in other people. It's not just holding it all in, you know, in the pastor's hand and he's the only one that can lead and he's the only one that can teach, but, but is investing in others and, and multiplying themselves. And that's a, that's a wonderful privilege we have here. That's one of the things that, that helps me have the strength to keep going. It's one of the, the support networks that we have here is that if I stay refreshed, I stay encouraged, 
by having others share the load with me. So I'm not like Moses just sitting here trying to meet with everybody, um, you know, 500 people trying to solve everyone's problems, but we have multiple teachers, we have multiple shepherds, we have multiple leaders in the church, and that's an important principle of leadership of the church. We've had the uh, opportunity to do this over the years in a lot of different ways, too. We, we had a, I had an intern that worked with me for a while that was going to be a pastor, too, so I got to, to train him and teach him some specifics about pastoring, and now he's pastoring a new church in uh, Houston, in Pearland, Texas. So, so we've had the blessing of, of not just teaching other teachers, like small group leaders and Sunday school teachers, but also teaching other pastors that are going on to other places. Um, we have a lot of different ways that we're doing this. We're looking at maybe starting a general leadership training class that will start that will be open to everybody uh, in April. We have an internship program at the church. We've joined a church planting network called Acts 29 so that we can encourage other church planters that are starting new churches. We have multiple ways that we're trying to impact each other and encourage the growth uh, of people uh, being faithful and passing on God's word to others. One of the real key things that I want to encourage you with is, as we talk about this is it's not just church leaders, but that God has entrusted all of you with a deposit of the good news. Peter says that all of us, all of God's people should be ready to give an account for the hope that we have. That, that's the basic trust that every Christian has. So you may not be called as, as a teacher. You may have more you know, quiet gifts of service or mercy or organization. But, but all of us are called to have this account, to be able to give this defense, to be able to share why we have hope in this world. And so I want to encourage you all to grow in that. Now, if you have more responsibility, you've got an, an even a greater need than to share what you've learned. Like if you're a parent, right? A big brother, a big sister, an aunt, an uncle. You, you may have others that are looking to you to lead them. You may be a school teacher. You may have other opportunities to teach others. And God wants to use you to teach others in that way as well. But all of us should pass on the basic deposit that God has given us. The last thing that we see as we think about this idea of passing the baton is that we should suffer well. This is kind of picking back up that, that theme that we saw last week. Last week we really focused on the idea of suffering. We, we looked at that idea in Philippians 1 where Paul says um, that he would rather die and be with Jesus. Anybody remember that? It's, it's wild. And, and I said that really all Christians at some level should have that focus. And that the reason we remain is for the service of others. See, see, we're not supposed to have our best life now. We're supposed to have our best life later. That, that's really what we look forward to. We look forward to a heaven where everything's perfect. We're not there yet. Now, in this time that we live in now, things are still broken, but we have this deposit of hope, a hope to, to move past this world, and that hope is what we are to share with other people. That hope that in the midst of this brokenness, we have something to share. Paul says, yeah, of course, it'd be better by far for me to go on and, and be with the Lord. It says in Philippians 1, 21 through 24, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I'm to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. That means hard work. Yet which shall I choose? I cannot tell. He's saying, I'm not sure really which I choose. Do I want to stay? Do I want to go and die? He was, he was in prison and he was facing possible death. He says, I'm hard pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ for that is far better. That is far better. Far better than everything being perfect now is to actually depart and, and be with Christ. And then everything really will be perfect. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. He says, I have a call on my life. You're alive. You're breathing because you are called by God to be a blessing to those around you. That's why you're alive right now. 
I, I've joked sometimes with friends, and you've got to make sure people are, are able to kind of handle this kind of humor, but a lot of times in birthday cards I'll, I'll write, uh, happy birthday, you're dying, we all are. And, and that's just something I like to, you know, write to remind people <laughs> in, in birthdays. Because we're all, we're all on that road, right? Some of us are closer than others. Some of us are closer than others, but this is, this is not the last stop. This, this flesh that we live in is not the end. We, we look forward to glorified bodies where there's no more, no more sin. There's no more disease where we'll be well. That's what we're looking forward to. And the reason he's left us as long as he has is to be of service to others. Is to share this hope that we have with other people. I, I want to read this idea that the, he gives three different illustrations for what this suffering looks like. The first thing is just the command to suffer. He goes back again to this unique uh, word that really Paul has coined in the New Testament, this word that's a, a compound word taking the word for share and the word for suffering and squishing those together. And it's one word in the Greek and in the English in verse 3 it says share in suffering. Share in suffering. Suffer with me. It's this call that we saw last week. Paul's calling all Christians, calling Timothy in particular, suffer with me. Share in suffering, he says, as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. And then in verse 4, 5, and 6, he says that there's three different categories, and you could probably spin out a million categories of, of places where you're willing to suffer, you're willing to work hard in order to get a reward, right? All of us have areas of, of passion and gifting where God has wired us, and, and we're willing to suffer for it, right? I mean, I remember last time I, uh, it wasn't the last time, but years ago I was playing flag football. Um, and broke my arm. And I remember my wife saying, so you're not going to play anymore, right? And I was like, well, well, no, it's worth it. You know, I mean, it was, it's fun. I'll play again. You know, I'll get the splint off and we'll play more. Um, there's things in life that are worth it to you, right? You might get some cuts. You might get some bruises. You might break an arm. You, you might sweat. You might suffer. But it's worth it. There's a reward in it for you. And, and Paul takes three of these areas of life that we're kind of all familiar with where people are willing to suffer for a reward. The first one is the soldier. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted. Verse 4. So he's saying no soldier focuses on civilian life. He, he does his mission. He's fulfilling what the, uh, enlist, the senior officer has called him to do. He's obeying his commander to please his commander. There's a reward in pleasing your commander. Uh, I've talked to a lot of guys about what life is like on deployment and for a lot of guys that work office jobs, they talk about how amazing it is that you can get like three years worth of work crammed into one year of deployment because you're focused and that's all you're doing. You're not worrying about civilian affairs at all. Now, of course, your families appreciate you getting to worry about civilian affairs a little bit if you're in the Army here, right? You get to worry about your family and be involved in their life somewhat. But every soldier at some level is focused on the mission. He's not focused on all these other civilian things. He's focused on the mission to please his commander. Paul's saying that's what it's like to be a soldier of Christ. When he says soldier of Christ, he's not saying we, we spread the gospel through violence. The, the scripture is very clear that, that violence and, and the use of the sword is something that's used to punish evildoers and it's something used by governments. And so it makes sense to have police, it makes sense to have soldiers, and Paul talks about that in Romans 13. But the Bible is also clear that that's not how we spread the gospel. We don't spread the gospel with guns. We, we use guns and the power of the sword... Um, to, to uh, punish evildoers, and that's the power that God has given to the state or to nations. And so some of you have that, you wield that power, and that's part of working for the government. But the church doesn't spread the gospel that way. So when he says being a soldier of Christ, he's just using this analogy saying that we serve, we seek to please, we suffer 
for our commander, Jesus, in order to please him. The, the other illustration he uses is in verse 5. Verse 5, he says, an athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. Back in those days, they didn't give them a gold medal around their neck. They gave them a wreath or a crown that they wore on their head. And so the athlete was crowned. Literally, the word, it's interesting in Greek, the word athlete means one who strives. So when you see the word struggle or strive in the New Testament, it's, it's a, a verb form of the word athlete. So those two words go together. Striving, struggling, suffering is what it means to be an athlete uh, in first century Greek. And he's saying, the athlete's not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. My wife was sharing the other day about a coach telling her about this swimmer who had won championship after championship and she made it to, to like the national level or the, or the state level and then was disqualified for a wrong turn she was making in the individual medley relay, like changing strokes from one to the next. And what was sad is she'd been doing that all year long. She'd been doing it that way all year long, didn't, didn't quite know about that one little nuance of the rule, and she'd, she'd never been disqualified until the final event. And how she wished that she had been told that earlier, how she wished someone had disqualified her earlier on so she could have won that championship, saying no, no athlete uh, is crowned unless he competes according to the rules. You strive within the boundaries. You don't just leave the court and, and go off and do your own thing, but you strive according to the rules. You suffer within these particular bounds of your sport for the purpose of getting this reward. And then verse 6, he says, it's the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Everybody knows that, that farming is hard work. Not a lot of us know it firsthand. Any of you grow up on a farm? Anybody here? Just a few of you? Okay, less and less people in our society know what that means. Less and less of us understand the hard work that, that first century people would be a lot more familiar with uh, than people like us. I have a picture here of someone farming and plowing uh, with a horse or a, a mule. I think it's a mule. I can't really tell from the picture. Um, but you see the, the hard work. You know, he's digging these furrows into the ground. He's sweating. He's struggling. Paul says the hardworking farmer is the one uh, that gets the first share of the crops. Again, you've got this, this concept of struggle and suffering, and, and then there's a reward. He says, think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Anything worthwhile involves a struggle. Anything that, that is good in life, we, we know this to be true just from the way we live our life. And that's what Paul is doing here. He's saying we see this in every area of our life. We live in a broken world, and, and the good things that we pursue always, always involve some kind of commitment. They always involve some kind of sweat, some kind of struggle, some kind of suffering. And Paul's saying it's the same thing when it comes to the church. If, if we're going to pass on what God has given us, to the next generation, it's going to require us to sweat. It's going to require us to struggle. I, I wonder if, if you're thinking like I was when I was reading this, well, what, what's the reward? So, so we're suffering to earn our salvation? Well, I mean, our theology says that's not right. Paul's been making it clear over and over in all the letters we've read that we don't, we don't struggle to earn salvation, that Jesus struggled to give us salvation. And I believe that I've, if I've looked at this and looked at Paul's language, how he says, I'm remaining in the body, he talks about in Philippians 1, how I'm remaining here, God's called me to stay here for your sake, for, for the benefit of others. And we see that theme again in other scriptures. In Isaiah 40.10, it talks about our Savior. And it tells us what our Savior's reward is. It says, Behold, the Lord God comes with might, and his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him, and his recompense before him. Recompense is payment or reward. So he's got this reward. His reward is with him. His payment is with him. And what is it? Isaiah 40, 11 says, He will tend his flock like a shepherd. 
He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them and gently lead those that are with young. So, so the reward for Paul is, is being a blessing to others, is being here for the sake of others. The reward for our Savior in Isaiah 40 is the lambs that he carries in his arms. I believe the reward that we are to struggle for and to sweat for is, is sharing what we have with others. If we believe what we think is the greatest news in the world, of course we would want to share that with other people. If we've actually found hope, if we've finally found some relief from this broken world, then we have something that's worth sharing, that we are going to want to pass on to others. I want you to think about for me, and, and if you have a pen, you can maybe even jot yourself a note down. What, what's one area where you feel like God is calling you to suffer? Where's an area where you feel like God is calling you to struggle for the sake of the gospel, to pass on this, this trust that God has given to you? And it doesn't need to be bleeding in a dungeon, right? I mean, we're spoiled Americans, and sometimes suffering just means discomfort. Sometimes it just means enduring difficult people or enduring shame or embarrassment. But I believe that God's calling all of us to suffer with him as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. Where's an area where you feel like God is calling you? And then the other thing I want you to think about, you may not want to write this down if your friends are with you or whatever, but you may, you may want to write this down later or think about it and just talk to the Lord about it a little bit. Who, who are the people that you feel like God is calling you to entrust these things to? There may be neighbors that God's put around you that, that don't know the hope that you have in Christ Jesus. If you have children, you're, you're commanded to raise them in the fear of the Lord and, and understanding who God is and the joy that we have in Him. If, if you're at work, maybe there's people that work with you that God wants you to share with you. It, it's good, again, to be strategic, to actually, to actually have a plan and want to share with others what God has given to you. Well, I think this morning you're, you're not here by accident. Um, you may think you are. You may think you just kind of wandered in here by random chance, molecules bouncing around, and here you are. But, but I believe that God has called you here this morning and that, that God wants you to hear some of this, that, that he wants you to give of yourself for others, that he wants you to share what he's given to you, this gospel, this, this life that he gave for us, the salvation that we have in him. He gives himself for us so that we can give ourselves away to others. So that we can share this, this baton. I'd like to ask you to, to join with us. To, to share in what, in what we have here. You know, we talk about financially at the beginning of church. We talk about sharing in financial burdens. Uh, we talk a lot about um, sharing in the burden of, of service. Maybe serving in the nursery or helping to teach Sunday school. A lot of times we, we call on you to think about maybe opening your home. To host a community group. There's a lot of different ways that you can share a lot of different ways that you can give. I, I don't know what God is calling you to. I, I know that we give you like a buffet of a million options here at the church. Try this, try that. I, I don't know what he's calling you to. The Holy Spirit has to tell you what he's calling you to share. But I know you're here to hear that, that he's calling you to give something for the sake of the gospel. I'm going to challenge you to obey, to listen to what he's telling you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the life that we have in your son Jesus the salvation that we have in him, the hope that we have. I pray that you would help us to remember that, that even though things would be much better with you, that you call us uh, to remain here, to keep fighting, to keep struggling, to keep breathing for the sake of others, and that you would allow us to make our time count so that we wouldn't drop the baton, but we would pass it on to others. We pray this for Jesus' sake. Amen.